All right, we've got a great episode of Side Retire, the only podcast. Technically, our last weekend recap of the regular season. We're recording here on Sunday, October 1st, the last day of the MLB regular season, followed by the playoffs coming up shortly. Let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is the whole crew with you guys today. If you're loyal listeners of the podcast, you will recognize all of these names. You've got me, Dylan Campione, as well as Nico Fernandez, Harry Kilman, Henry Kalani, Sam Duchansky, and David Halpert joining us on today's podcast, talking all things MLB. We're going to break this episode basically into two parts. First half, we'll talk about the regular season concluding, and then we'll go into our playoff previews and predictions. We've got a lot of guys of teams who's actually made the playoffs. And then, of course, we've got my New York Mets in a chaotic day. We're going to start things off. The regular season is over, and we had a bunch of legends calling it a quits today. Miguel Cabrera and Adam Wainwright have officially retired, and then Joey Votto and Zach Greinke have already hinted that they will likely be retiring at this conclusion of the season. Harry, I'm going to come to you first on this one because you are a resident Cincinnati Reds fan. So Joey Votto, last game kind of went out poetically. Your thoughts on the Reds slugger and potentially future Hall of Famer? Um, yeah, I mean, seeing Votto go out like that, um, I think that you know, assuming this is his last, um, his his last go around, um, the fact that he was ejected by an umpire on uh, a called strike three that wasn't a strike after all, and Votto correctly disputed it. I feel like that's very much an accurate summation of his career, especially in the final, the final years. I mean, I've said it kind of ad nauseum at this point, but Joey Votto very much is Cincinnati baseball and has embodied the Reds organization um, in a way that not only has been so important to the players, but in a way that like the administration itself really hasn't deserved. Um, and, you know, he is one of the the best Reds of all time. He's, in my opinion, if he's in everyone's opinion, a hall of famer, and if he's not a hall of famer, you're, you know, respectfully stupid, but, um, you know, he's, he's everything to Cincinnati. And, you know, if this is it, then it was a great run. Nico, I'll come with you with the guy that is for sure a hall of famer. You got to see the beginning of his career with the Miami Marlins, Miguel Cabrera going out in style today, actually fielded a ground ball and is one and only play at first base. Your thoughts, and you're going to have to recover a lot for us here, but Miguel Cabrera's career is coming to an end, and he's one of the greatest sluggers of our generation. Yeah, I mean, probably one of the top three or four greatest hitters of the 2000s from 20 from 2000 to 2020. I mean, the guys just hit everywhere he went. He was a class act. I mean, I don't think it was a person in baseball who didn't like him. The guy just 2012, 2013, obviously, his two MVP years just absolutely mashed. The guy was always a good guy to be around. I think everyone loved him. Again, obviously have the relation of him being Latin and him starting with the Marlins getting the chip. I'm just an amazing career. One of the greatest right-handed hitters we'll ever see. So again, happy for him. And then Sam, we're going to come to you as a guy that we've faced for the last two decades in the national league. Adam Wainwright started his career off with the Braves that most people don't realize, but he spent basically the last 18, 19 years of his career with the St. Louis Cardinals. Finally, the last of those three guys, Yachty, Pujols, and now Adam Wainwright calling it a career. Yeah, he was a very good pitcher for a very long time. Uh, missed that 2011 championship, so, you know, that was a bummer for him. But uh, 
otherwise, I I'll look upon him very fondly. I thought he was a good pitcher. He, you know, embarrassed us a few times, but uh, and the World Baseball Classic left a lot to be desired as well. You know, he'd always he was a good pitcher, but he'd always just loop one right down the middle, <laughs> sent four fifty the other way every time he had one of those a game. But um, I mean, to be a starting pitcher for what eighteen years dominantly, that's a remarkable accomplishment. But uh, yeah, so a lot of ends in St. Louis. And then Henry, Henry, you get to have some fun here and talk about the man, the myth, the legend. Zach Granke's career probably came to an end today in Kansas City. I, I, I was saying this before the <laughs> before we started recording. I found out that Zach, I, I guess I sort of knew because he has kids, but I found out Zach Granke had a wife and like how that man managed to talk to a woman is beyond me considering all the stories that we hear about him. But no, I mean, Zach Granke's a beast, right? He's He's the... He's such a weird dude. He throws a fastball at 83 and a changeup at 84 just to mess with the batter's head. He's, I remember being like seven years old and seeing him on the mound, just being terrified by his eyes because he would stare so intently at the batter. But he's, he's one of the more remarkable um, pitchers that we'll ever see play the game. He definitely had his own style about the way that he, that he played the game and the way he prepared before games. But not only is he one of the funniest players of at least my time viewing the game of baseball, he was also one of the most consistent and best pitchers. I like it. So we're going to go around the horn here quickly. David will start with you and then we'll go reverse order. David, Henry, Sam, Nico, and Harry out of the four guys we mentioned, how many are hall of famers? Just give us a number from zero to four. Again, it's Miggy, Votto, Wainwright, and Granky. David lead us off just with a number. I think all four deserve a spot because of how great all their careers are. So I'm going to say all four with three being the lowest, but all four. Damn. I'll say three. Henry. I don't think Wainwright had the hardware for it, but I'd I'd say three. Henry. I'd I'd probably go two bordering on three, depending on how you want to look at Grankies. Nico? Yeah, I'll agree. I go two. I don't think... I don't think Greg, he's got enough, in my opinion. Harry. Miggy, 100%. Votto, 100%. Granky, I'd lean yes. Adam Wainwright, not even close. Harry's happy that nobody presented an argument for Joey Votto just now, because I know we've had our battles on the path in the podcast. I will go with three, just because Mike Mussina, if you compare his career to Zach Granky's, they're very similar. The Cy Youngs, the playoff success. So I think Granky might sneak in definitely on a first ballot, but could eventually get there over time. The other thing, we have three managers so far. Rumors will likely get more on probably the Black Monday deals that always happen. Terry Francona, Gabe Kapler, and Buck Showalter are not returning next year. Terry Francona is stepping away from the game of baseball, uh, retiring, dealing with some health issues as well. Gabe Kapler out in San Francisco after a season-ending slump. And Buck Showalter, it's an interesting scenario, and I'll get to that in a second. Nico will lead off with you. Terry Francona, another great guy retiring from the game of baseball. Yeah, I mean, that guy, in my opinion, if it was my call, he'd still be the coach of the Boston Red Sox. I mean, favorite manager of all time. I was so sad when he left the Red Sox. He got us a couple of chips. I mean, I think he's one of the most respected managers in baseball. I think even though, you know, there's kind of a stigma of older managers, I don't think anyone really ever thought he was a bad manager. I think he's always been a great manager in everyone's eyes. Hall of Fame manager, I think, objectively, guy's one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, again, great career. Wish he could have ended it with the Red Sox, but hate to see. 
Sam, what's wrong with Gabe Kapler? <laughs> you experienced the Gabe Kapler experience yeah. in Philadelphia, and all of a yeah. sudden he won 107 games a year ago, and now he's right. out of a job again. That that was a fluke. The thing is with him is, you know, he's so analytical, but he's a terrible like manager when it comes to intangible stuff. He'll actively involve himself in the strategic aspect of baseball, but like he'll go out of his way to ruin games with his decision making. And that just hasn't changed. So the the Giants thing, you know, where they won 107 games, that's great. But you should look at the other, what is it, four seasons now where they didn't make the playoffs, where they weren't even above like 500. Like they, you know, it's it, this, it's the same deal with him. I think he'll get another job because I think a lot of the MLB teams lean into analytics. So someone will probably hire him, maybe not this hiring cycle, maybe next season. But I, I think, you know, I'm not surprised he got fired even yeah just but he's tired. so hot <laughs> he's young that's the thing is he's young exactly but he's now had what six seasons five seasons as a manager and he's <laughs> <laughs> like that's getting edited out i can't keep that one no, no you gotta keep that you gotta, you gotta keep yeah, that you gotta, you gotta let that ride you gotta, you gotta let that one ride uh but yeah. <laughs> Can I give a defense for Gabe Kapler? Yeah. Because I, I just have that one bad. thing that, and I know everyone's seen the Giants fell off the wheels these last couple months. My whole thing is when looking at the Giants roster, other than the fact that they were successful last year, they're just not a very good team. I mean, again, what what that roster doesn't really speak, even though they missed the playoffs, they were that roster doesn't speak 500 to me. I mean, you look at the teams in that division. Dodgers are a better team. Diamondbacks are a better team. There's a lot of better teams in the National League. When you're playing teams like that, I think their roster just doesn't hold up against some of the rosters in the NL. I think this is kind of what they are. I think, yes, the 107 was a fluke, but I don't think it was a fluke for Gabe Kapler. I think it was a fluke because the Giants just aren't that good of a team. <laughs> it's an interesting strategy. I think the one manager that we'll now get to here is the third guy, Buck Showalter won 101 games last year and he's one of the few managers ever to come in Kapler's was two years removed but Beck Showalter is coming directly off a 100 win season and then finished this year with 74 and a half wins because apparently the Mets are getting a half win with this weird rainout situation that's happening on Monday but it, what it, it's they still haven't determined the Marlins are not coming to New York on Monday but there's a game still to be played so there's a chance MLB is going to rule this game as a tie or as a Marlins forfeit so Weird situation happening in New York. The game is irrelevant because we know, then we'll get to in a second, the Marlins are locked into the five seed and the Mets are the Mets. So they might not play that game. But with Buck Showalter, he's a great manager. Don't get me wrong. He is a, I believe it's 19th all times in wins in baseball history. But David Stearns has arrived. And as much as Buck Showalter was the piece that the Mets needed at the time, coming off of four managers in five years, if you include Mickey Calloway, if you include... Luis Rojas, if you include Carlos Beltran, if you include the end of Terry Collins, you needed stability. And Buck Showalter is supposed to be that pillar, and he definitely brought it to the team. Professionalism, doing all the drills and spring training, showing up early, showing up often. He was the guy. But when you have a new president of baseball operations coming in, you're supposed to give him all the freedom to hire the guys he wants, get to get all the players, the coaches, and everything. And bringing in a guy like Buck Showalter who's kind of the anti-David Stearns. He's not heavy into the analytics. 
David Stearns obviously is. Buck Showalter's from the Big South and he likes to talk to people. David Stearns is more quiet and reserved and he's from Harvard in New York City. So it seemed like there was going to be a conflict. I personally would have kept Buck Showalter because I think the Mets clubhouse liked him. Lindor and Pete Alonso spoke glowingly of him after the game. But I do at the same time get why it might have been time to move on from Buck Showalter. But does anyone else who's not a Mets fan have an unbiased opinion that they want to speak on Henry? I mean, look, I think I consumed enough Mets media from this year <laughs> that we should maybe consider that, and I mean this 100% seriously, Buck Showalter's mind may have been deteriorating towards the end of his tenure on the Mets. Like, like truly, like there's there was no explanation for for what happened this year, except for that his mind was deteriorating. There was no reason that the Mets should have been this bad. But I, I do agree, though, that I don't think it's entirely on Buck. I've, and I think that it was probably time to move on for both parties. Like, when they say it's a mutual, like, parting of ways, usually that's not the case. I think it honestly was probably close to the case this time. Um, yeah, Buck's not a bad manager. He's just – it was just a remarkably horrible season. And Buck came to New York with the aspirations of the one thing missing from his career is that World Series appearance. I think he's the second most appearances of all or managed games without winning a pennant. He wanted to get that here. Not going to happen. And we'll see what the future holds for Buck Showalter. But we will get to our first two rapid fire questions to wrap up the season. And that is going to be your predictions. Who will be the manager of the New York Mets in 2024? And who will be the manager of the San Francisco Giants in 2024? I will give you guys time to think as I quickly reveal my answers, because I know I'm putting you guys on these questions immediately. I'll say co-host James believes that David Wright is going to be managing the New York Mets. I don't think there's any chance that happens, but he texted me that and said he wanted me to say, shout it out, so I will do so. For my predictions, I will go with the San Francisco Giants next manager, and am I stealing this idea from my dad? Yes, but it made a ton of sense. Buck Showalter is not done, and I think he goes out to San Francisco, and I think he gets a nice little two-year contract there. He sees a window of opportunity. Buck at the end of his press conference said, I'm not done. I don't think I'm done. I'm physically feeling fine. San Francisco needs a veteran because I think Gabe Kapler is starting to lose that clubhouse and the Mets weren't losing the clubhouse. So Showalter is going to go to San Francisco. And then I think for the New York Mets, Craig Council's not coming. And I guarantee one of you guys on this call will say that Craig Council is the next manager of the New York Mets. But there's another guy that has a connection to David Stearns, and that is due to their time in the Houston Astros system together. I think A.J. Hinch is ready to come back to a contender, and I think A.J. Hinch is the manager of the New York Mets in 2024, which then creates a nice little carousel of action of the Tigers need a manager, and Gabe Kapler's got to go somewhere, so maybe Kapler goes back to Detroit because he was a player on the Detroit Tigers. Now we got all the gears turning, but more of that later. I've hopefully rambled on long enough that one of you guys has an answer, so who wants to go first? Nico, I'll give you the floor. Who's the manager of the Mets? Who's the manager of the Giants? Mets, to be honest, I don't care because whoever's on the Mets, they're still going to lose because the Mets are always going to make. Thanks. Thanks. Well, no problem, bro. Um, so I'll just go with the answer that we all thought it was going to be um, way before Buck Walters manager. Why not Carlos Beltran? I don't see why not. The guy's a Met. He's very good at using things to his advantage, as we know from the Astros. So he seems like he's going to be able to capitalize on things with the Mets, hopefully. The Giants one is a lot more interesting because I'm between two people. I want to go with the realistic one, which is going to be, I think that the Padres don't really know, again, kind of like the Mets, what went wrong this year. I mean, I, I saw something that, again, 
they hit well, kind of. They had some of the best hitters in baseball with Juan Soto. That these seems to be really good and right. They have the Cy Young. How did that happen? They usually blame that on the manager. I see a really easy world where it's Bob Melvin. All right. I like it. Sam, you're up. So the manager for the Mets is Gabe Kapler, and that's purely oh. out of spite. <laughs> also, I think the new president of baseball operations, as you said, analytic focused, I think they're going to bring in the analytical guy. Um, and then San Francisco, I think, gets Craig Council, because I honestly think out of the names that have been discussed for managerial candidates, I think he probably is the most steady on the immediate open market. So I would say Craig Council for the Giants and Gabe Kapler for the Mets, which would be very funny. <laughs> Harry, go for it since you're edging to go. Um, for the Mets, it's whoever Dylan thinks, because he's usually right about those things. And for the Giants, I'll go with Will Venable. Associate head coach for the Rangers, also grew up a diehard San Francisco Giants fan. It's pretty good. I like player. it. Former big leaguer as well. Henry. Now I look like such a poser. I thought I had these locked in. I was going to go Catholic to the Mets because, you know, I think it would be funny. And also we were just talking about how he's so addicted to analytics. It's a it's a tone change when you go back from Buck. Um, and yeah, there's no chance. If A.J. Preller is maybe getting fired, there's no chance Bob Melvin sticks around. And I don't know. If I was Tim, I would want to stay on the West Coast. So Bob Melvin to the Giants. All right. And David, round us out. I'm going to go with a guy who was a former first base coach of the Giants to take the role as the Giants manager. Dodgers first base coach Clayton McCullough will come back and coach and manage or manage the Giants. And I took a look to see who was available to manage free agent managers. And I'm going to go with a guy who was born in New Jersey. Don't give us Joe Girardi. Don't give us Joe Girardi. I'm actually going with the guy who managed Team USA in the 2023 World Baseball Classic. I'm going to say Mark DeRosa. I'm, Love I'm thinking, I think I think he's a guy who can bring the Mets back to rele- relevancy after a rough Oh, year we're relevant. It's just not for the right reasons, but we're relevant. Like – I think he can get them back over 500 for the next season. Nico, you just texted me you had a sneaky Giants candidate if you want to throw that out there. Yeah, you know, obviously didn't put this up on the spot. So I'm like, eh, let me just Google it. First person that came up is the most interesting thing I ever thought. Part owner, Buster Posey. <laughs> and I don't it's know. such a wild I don't think there's a world that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't think there's a world that it's going to happen. But I would love to see that guy. Just next player manager, put him back at catcher, <laughs> and he manages the team. Just that world where number 28 comes back. Saw him at FSU this year. He looks like he can still play ball. Put him as a player manager. I like I've it. A, I've got another yeah. sneaky one for the Mets. Um, you know, we got a, a guy who's great with the media. You know, he knows how to make pitching changes when – when the moment is right, you know, that's something that the Mets really struggled with this year. Okay. And man, what it's right in front of the Mets. It's right in front of them. I, Aaron Boone probably won't be in us in, in the Yankees office. Throw, throw him across town. Let's give him a shot in Queens. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> well, I don't think Boone's moving anywhere, but we've got an interesting office. Yes, he is. I'm Aaron, sure the Boone rumors... is Aaron Boone is not with the Yankees. All right, well, we'll got that on recording too. So if that does indeed happen, I will throw because Harry just mentioned. Usually, I'm in the know on stuff like that. I will throw some 
names that most people probably have not heard of out there that might be getting a little bit of rumbling out around in Metsland too. That'll include Quinton Berry, former outfielder of the Chicago Cubs, Pat Murphy, or Pat Murphy, former coach at University of Arizona, and Chip Hale, former third base coach of the New York Mets. Just throwing those three hypothetical names out there for no apparent reason. But we will now transition over to the playoffs that are getting set. We've got some of our resident fans. We've got Nico representing Miami. We've got Sam representing Philadelphia here. Those two are going at each other first. But if you guys want to talk about what's going to happen in that series? Sam, you get the floor first. Sam, give all the logic, and then I'll come with my homer pick. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, the logic is not a positive logic. I think out of all the teams that were in the NL wild card race this entire season, this is the worst possible matchup we could have. I object for, for our team specifically, I think is the worst of like matchup we could have. I think we were two and four on the season series against you guys. We definitely didn't have the winning record against you. Like you had the tiebreaker. There's a lot of lefties. We don't hit the lefties. Well, I, I really am, you know, I'm kind of nervous about this. I, I thought we were going to coast in to Arizona, having to fly across the country and play, and we would sweep them in two games or Chicago or Cincinnati or whoever. And it was the team, like for all intents and purposes, the Marlins were the team that, you know, we don't want to face and they're a division team. So they're going to play us tough. I think the X factor for us is this series being in Philly because that crowd is going to be loud. They're all night games. So there's no like daytime, sleepy, late arriving crowd. Like it's going to be night games. You're going to get, you know, red towels, people screaming and that the offense feeds off of that. So that I think is going to be the biggest factor and all of those games are at home, which is huge for us. So ultimately I do think the Phillies win this series, but the only possible way we win the series is we win two sweep. If this goes to three, I feel like the Marlins will have it. We'll have like a San Diego Mets situation last oh, series. Cause well, it's just like from what we see with these wildcard series is if you, you know, you can't let them go to game three cause then the team is going to, you know, you, you can't have that go up to chance. So I will say for my prediction, Phillies in two and both games are very, very, very close. Nico. I thought it was going to be a lot more raw Phillies because <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I, I really didn't want the Phillies to play the Martins for the simple reason of I like the Phillies, but you are so confident my, in your teams. What? <laughs> you guys are just so confident. It's, it's flat. No, no, no. I like the Marlins. I went, I did some studying. I've been saying it the whole year about the Marlins. I've picked them since like the end of July to make it after the trade deadline. I don't know how. I don't know why. They just find ways to win games. It's that simple. They went, I, I believe they have now the record for the most seventh inning comebacks after being down three. It's absurd. I went to two games this year. Both of them were ones that they were down by three runs or more. And they came back and won the game. And one of them the day after they were down by three runs again and walked it off against the Yankees. One, two things they do well. One, they hit well against the Phillies. They're consistent. They went and they, they've hit 270 the whole year, which, again, for a team, pretty good average. They're hitting 270 with the same OPS against the Phillies. The other thing they do well, which I think is important in the playoffs, they hit in close games. Again, 270 with the same OPS in those games. If this game goes down to the wire, if Braxton Garrett, Jesus Lazardo, Yuri Perez, one of them comes out and throws as well. We know Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, one of them's throwing well. If we this are. game gets close, I like where the Marlins are at when they have Jake Berger and Josh Bell both hitting above 800. 
being with the Marlins. So I like the Marlins in the series. They're scary. Just like you said it, Marlins are one of the scariest teams just from a amount that they can outperform what people think they are. I like it. We'll go to the other NL series. Harry, I know you were hoping that the Reds were involved here, but we've got the NL Central champion Milwaukee Brewers facing off against the reason James Taustig is not on this call tonight, and that is the Arizona Diamondbacks made the playoffs as a wild card team. So I know you also have to run quickly after this segment. So if you want to break down your Diamondbacks versus Brewers breakdown and prediction, as well as if you want to give us a spoiler alert for the question we're going to ask everyone else on the call, your World Series prediction. My World Series prediction. Okay. Just the matchup, not um, the winner. We'll just do a matchup for you. All right. Um, so we'll start with um, the, the Brewers versus Diamondbacks. And I think that these are two very like interesting teams in their composition. The Brewers being their like historical, like incredible pitching with very lackluster hitting. And the Diamondbacks, this kind of emerging team where that has like really sneaky depth in their lineup. Uh, but, you know, aside from Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly, who are both absolutely incredible, their pitching depth is really lackluster. Um, that said, this is a best of three series. So, you know, if you can get by with Gallon and Kelly, you know, if you can win the first two games, that's all you need to win. However, I do think that this is a situation that if it gets to three, the Brewers will, will handle it pretty easily. I mean, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta are good enough to match up. I would argue that they could even be better than the other two. Um, and then, you know, your pick of, of Brandon Woodruff, who, although he's been a little bit lackluster this season, he's still really good. Adrian Hauser's, you know, kind of asserted himself as, as one of the mainstays in that rotation. Um, I, I don't, I'm not super fond of the Brewers because I think that when your bats go cold in the playoffs, bad things happen. I saw it with my Reds in 2020, but I will give them the edge. Um, I think there's a factor if they've been there before and that the Diamondbacks, especially being led by rookie Corbin Carroll, and while he's awesome, playoff baseball is something very different. And especially in two games that are much do or die, and you know, you're, you're starting out in Milwaukee, I think that that's probably going to be um a large factor at play and right, so yeah I'll, I'll pick the i'll pick the brewers to win that as for my world series prediction i mean i got the braves winning it all to be honest i just they're so good um who they'll go up against uh i like the easy picks the orioles but i'm gonna go with the rangers i've been riding with them you know this year i think the orioles might have a similar problem as the diamondbacks and that this is kind of they're all their first years in the postseason and you know that could spell bad things when it like really ramps up but yeah i'll go i'll go braves beat rangers all righty thank you harry and we'll see you next week again but henry since we mentioned the texas rangers talk to us about that series the rangers finished in the wild card spot they'll be facing off against the tampa bay rays yeah just one second why does god hate me why would why would like like what what are we doing here I was like, ganks are out of contention. All right, at least I get to see the Astros come down with us. And I wake up to a notification that the Astros win the division. <laughs> it was just, it was horrible. It was, it was just a horrible thing to see. Um, I really feel like the Rays, I, at least my, if you were to ask me my prediction, I would probably say that the Rays take it. It looked like they were in absolute free fall after that scandalous hole in their shortstop position arrived. Um, but they really, they were really able to bounce back. They had a solid September. Meanwhile, the Rangers sort of collapsed, right? Like they, they could not hit their pitching 
got significantly worse. Obviously, they did get Scherzer back, but I mean, it's it it doesn't feel like, at least to me, there is a way for for the Rangers to come out of this simply because their pitching is so volatile right now, and we haven't seen their bats be, be able to heat up. Meanwhile, the Rays sort of obviously it's not as good as the start of the season, but they've sort of been able to refine their brand of baseball without Wander Franco and find a way to consistently win ball games. I like it. Nico, bring us home here. Talk to us about the Toronto Blue Jays facing off against the team, still looking for their first playoff win in almost two decades, Minnesota Twins. I'm so sad that the Blue Jays are in the playoffs because I've been saying that they're too irrelevant to make the playoffs, but we're here. So let's put them against the Twins. I really, again, because I don't like the Blue Jays, I like the Twins here for a simple reason of I believe in Sonny Gray. I think that there's a nice world where they go down 1-0, where they go up 1-0, and it becomes a really uphill battle for the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays, every, you ask every single person who they talked about, it seems like a lot of their wins are against bad pitching. And I think what the Twins do well is they have a couple guys there with Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, that can pitch very well. I think this is a there's a very good chance that the Blue Jays don't score three runs in this series. I think there's a good chance that Sonny Gray goes shut out, and I think there's a good chance that Joe Ryan or Pablo Lopez goes shut out. I don't believe in this Blue Jays roster. I think that we have a lot of guys that they that we just want to believe in, in Vladdy Guerrero, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, um, not Tay Oscar, George Springer, a lot of guys like that that we believe in. I just don't believe in their offense, and I Certainly don't believe in their pitching. I think Gosman's good, but I think after that, because Manoa can't find a way to pitch with the pitch clock, I don't think they have the pitching, and I think their hitting's a little overrated to win this series. I like can it. I, David, can David, I jump David, in? Feel like, yes, jump in. Yeah, this series is going to come down, of course, to the Twins being very clutch, not only with their pitching, but with their hitting, because they have proven over the last bunch of years, especially facing off against – mainly the Yankees and many other opponents that they choke in the postseason. I mean, you make a fair point, Nico. The Blue Jays have underperformed Vladimir Guerrero Jr., for example, one of the best hitters in the game. He didn't look right at all at some points in the season. Their pitching looked a little off. Manoa become from a Cy Young candidate to absolutely trash. Their bullpen, I don't know really much about their bullpen. Their lineup has a... They only have a few other good hitters. And for the Twins, I'm actually quite surprised. The Marlins and the Twins both won their trade, the Arias and Lopez trade, because both of them are in the playoffs now. Yeah. So that's like a win-win for both sides, because at one point it looked like a – I like – yeah. A win-lose. Like I, now it acted like both teams won the trade fair and square – because both teams are in the playoffs and both those guys have, have done their part. Especially but for the when, Twins part. My bad. I was going to say, so, especially when Arias was hitting 400 versus Lopez was having a mediocre season. I think he snuck onto that all-star game, but really in the second half, they started to balance that out. Yeah. So it's going to be up to the Twins pitching and coming up clutch offensively to win this series. I like it. Absolutely. So we will now, you will each get two words. And yes, I'm limiting you all to two words because we're going a little over time here. Your AL champion versus your NL champion. Henry, you're on the spot first. Braves O's. They're both in the American League. The Rays. I said Braves O's. Oh, oh all right. I, I was not the only one that just heard Rays O's. Yeah, Nico. My fault. <laughs> Nico, 
Fudge. Uh, O's Dodgers. Bam. Phillies Orioles. Oh, the Phillies snuck in there. David, wait, are we going Orioles sweep right now? No, I'm gonna say a rematch of 2020. No. Rays no. versus Dodgers. <laughs> Who Rays Dodgers? Gonna... Interesting. I like it. I will go with a team that has been trashed throughout this entire podcast. Brewers versus Houston Astros. And we will now wrap things up here by going with our MVPs of the season. Every week here at Side Retired, we have done our Side Retired MVP of the week. We're going to wrap things up with our MVP of the season. James Tausig has submitted his pick, and he is going with the obvious Ronald Acuna Jr. is his MVP of the season. Sam is our guest. You can opt to choose the very easy pitcher hitter as your MVP, or you can go a different route as well if you'd like to. I would actually like to go a different route to start. I, I said, I said okay. Sam, Duff. <laughs> He's good. Uh, good. Uh, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> You're good. Do you want to go or I can wait? Oh, you first. My bad. I was just mishearing things. <laughs> All right. No problem. All right. So, obviously, in the AL, it's Shohei. And then I think you also, I think it's pretty obvious. And then the, uh, Acuna. Yeah. I like it. Don't like I don't like him and I don't like it, but yeah, that's the choice. <laughs> like <laughs> David. All right. So in, so the AL MVP. Um, I'm gonna agree that uh Shohei deserves the AL MVP honors, especially what he has done even before the injury offensively and pitching wise, and the fact that he done it all with the Angels who absolutely underperform. He's going to be like one of the top uh, stars in the upcoming season. Where will he go? I don't know. And for the MVP of the NL, I'm actually going with someone very interesting. I actually saw this in the New York Post today. I'm actually going with Drake Turner of the Phillies because remember earlier in the year when he was struggling, a Phillies fan said in a YouTube video, let's start cheering for the guy and he'll get out of his slump and he gets out of his slump. And and then he said today in the newspaper, Phillies Turner to Jets fans cheering for QB, Zach Wilson may help. And right now in the in the football game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Jets, the game is tied at 20. If oh, you're right. the Jets if the Jets wins this game, and Zach Wilson is the one getting the game-winning touchdown, it will be because of Philly's Trey Turner telling Jets fans to cheer for him like the Phillies fans cheer for him when he was in a slump. I like it. You initially had us all kind of shocked with that answer. Even I saw Sam when you said Trey Turner's the MVP. Looked a little confused, but I love But based on the was. based on the reasoning of what he went through in his slump when he was struggling, especially after the World Baseball Classic and when he first arrived to Philadelphia and what the Phillies fans did and then now what he's doing and what he said early in the New York Post uh, or to the New York Post that I'll send you guys a picture. Uh, that I, that I, yeah. I like it. Nico, That's take it away. pretty solid guys. reasoning. Uh, <laughs> I got my MVP of the year being a little different. I think that no matter how they finish in the playoffs, I think the MVP of this year has to be the Baltimore Orioles. I think they're extremely ahead of schedule. I think Adley has already cemented himself as either the best or a top two catcher in the MLB. 
this team is arguably the best team of baseball. I mean, three out of the four guys here picked them to be the World Series for the in the World Series for the AL. They're a very good baseball team. And the biggest thing is that whenever I look and I'm like, oh, this team's great, they still have Jackson Holiday, who of all the guys they've drafted and developed, this guy may be the best one that they have. The guy's hitting 332 as a 19-year-old. He had over 36 multi-hit games as a 19-year-old. There's a chance that we're looking three, four years down the road when this dynasty, when this team is very, is maybe has a chip, maybe again at the top of the LEs consistently, and they have all of a sudden three top players at their position. If Felix Batista comes back healthy, they have Jackson, him, and Ali. I see a world where that easily could happen. Henry, bring us home with your MVP of the season. I'm really just going with the most homer pick, but this is just the guy who every fifth day made me feel like there was hope in the season. Um, if he's not the AL Cy Young, then <laughs> I really don't know what to do anymore. Uh, Garrett Cole, um, sticky stuff or not, right? Like I honestly was, a, honestly, Garrett Cole has had an, an almost Bryce Harper turn of events for me. When he first came to the Yankees, I was like, I was just not on the Garrett Cole train, especially because of his presence on the Astros. But no, he's been great all year. And he, he gave me hope whenever he was pitching. All right, and I will go with my MVP of the season being the pitch clock because I know that is a big thing that most people did not think of. Everyone else here went with a player or a team, but we do have a statistic. This year, last year, there were over 300 games that were three hours and 30 minutes long. This year, we had nine. I love baseball more than anybody else, and that's for sure, and everyone else on the Zoom call can confirm. We love baseball, but we like baseball. We don't like 45 seconds to get up to the plate. We don't like exchanging five balls in between every foul ball. So as much as, and I will be the first guy to admit it, when the pitch clock was announced, was not a huge fan of it. I thought as a pitcher, what happens in the World Series when you're rushed for time and you need the time to like refresh and regroup after a bad pitch or something like that. And we had a long debate for it. Nico, you might have been on that call with me and Potter where we talked about is the pitch clock going to help or hurt Major League Baseball? And I was very against it, but I said, let's see what happens. A summer internship later where I was running the pitch clock. I have to admit that might be why I was a little bit in favor of the pitch clock. I can admit that now I'm not an intern there anymore. So I can admit that that was my job this summer. But um, I think the pitch clock helped Major League Baseball speed up the process. We all got used to it. I know we all got very nervous when that spring training game ended with the bases loaded on an automatic strike call violation. We only had on average at the end of the season one pitch clock violation for every two games. And most of them did not occur until after the fourth or before most of them occurred before the fourth inning or it occurred in games where the score was higher than a four point difference or four run difference. I just said points. Wow. So it seems like it wasn't as big of an impact on the game itself competitive wise, but it was a massive impact on the game from a pace of play, from a level of competition and just major league baseball is a better product this year. As a result of it, Nico's already chiming in, texting me saying, I want to talk, I want to talk. So, Yeah, I just want to completely agree. I think, honestly, again, as much as a lot of baseball fans don't like him, big winner after this season was Rob Manfred. I think that every a lot of the things that he implemented worked. Stolen bases up, time of games down. And I think that's really big because I think he's very keen on wanting to implement the robot umpire. And I think before this year started, Everyone thought that that was a fever dream that would never, ever happen. And I think at the end of this year, especially with how the umpires have been this year, 
and how much it's been successful, these rules, I think it's a lot more of a possibility than it was in March, 2023. Sam, go for it. Cause I know you just said you want to chime in here. We are running a little bit short on time, but if you got some stuff to chime in, go for it. Yeah. Agree with you both. I definitely think that is probably the MVP. I didn't know how this worked. That is definitely the MVP <laughs> of the season. In a lot of ways, all of the rule changes, the shift ban, we didn't get a chance to mention. All of these things basically saved, like for all intents and purposes, it saved baseball from a years-long negative trajectory with younger people. <laughs> and um, it, it, I feel like it's a positive thing, you know, we all got used to it as the season went along. I know they're not changing it for the postseason, which I'm I, I'm honestly okay with. And I think ultimately baseball just became more fun to watch on on TV. And then the in person game experience it had a minimal, you know, impact on that. So I'm I I think it just saved the the game for all intents and purposes. And um, yeah, all good. We like it. And so of course we will be back later on next week. We'll have our weekend recaps throughout the postseason as well. We'll be wrapping up what's happening. We might do a special episode on Friday talking about what happens in these wild card series. We'll continue to do our two interviews per week leading into the playoffs as well as the offseason. Henry, I know we already completed our interview for Wednesday. If you want to give a little sneak preview to the audience of who will be joining the show. Yeah, this was one of my favorite interviews that I've done. Um, I was super knowledgeable about the art of broadcasting and calling sporting events. Emmanuel Barbari was an awesome interview, and I'm super excited for you guys to hear it. And of course, if you're a Yankee fan, you know he was the guy that filled in for John Sterling when he stepped aside during the year this year. So we're looking forward to having Emmanuel on the show on Wednesday, as well as Sam. If the Phillies make a run, we're looking forward to having you back on the podcast soon. And you'll, of course, be hearing from these goons, Henry and Nico, next week again, as always. So, Sam, appreciate you joining us. David, we appreciate you hopping on with us. And Henry, Nico, as always, we'll see you again next week. So thanks for, the for having me. All good. Love having you on here. Hopefully, we'll be talking about a Phillies Victory. Well, Nico's not hoping for that, but (laughs) (laughs) but we'll be back soon. And for Dylan, Nico, Sam, Henry, and David, the side is retired.